The first reading is uh, from Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 to 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. And the second reading is from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill that was what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thanks very much uh, for reading those passages to us, Judith. Um, If you don't know me, my name's Andy. Um, I'm the children and youth worker uh, here at Inspire St. James Clerkenwell. It's a great joy um, to be able to share God's word with you this Palm Sunday. Um, Before we dive in, um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you speak through your words. Thank you that you show us who you are, who we are, and your purposes for our life. Lord, please use my words now, by your Holy Spirit, to give us eyes to see the true King. Amen. So, If you look down with me um, at that passage in Matthew, the second one that that Judith read, um, towards the bottom of the page you'll see, right in the middle of the passage, we have this quote from the prophet Zechariah um, in verse 5. 
And right in the middle of that quote, at the very heart of the passage, we have these words. See. See, your king comes to you. And that, in essence, is what God wants to say to every single one of us today. See, your king comes to you. Look at this man. Look at Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey over 2,000 years ago. Look at him. Because as you do, you're looking at your king. And more than that, you're looking at God's king. The one in whom all your hopes for a great leader are being fulfilled, but more than that, exceeded and transformed. Deep within us all, we have a longing for a great leader. For someone to come and sort things out and put things right. Maybe for some of us, that longing has curdled over time into a cynicism that all claims to to leadership are really power plays, or disintegrated into a kind of despair that we're never going to get the leader we need. But the longing is there. If you've been with us for the past few weeks at Inspire St. James, we've been working through the last part of the book of Judges. And I wonder, it certainly certainly did for me, whether that stirred up in you a longing for a great leader as we saw the mess of God's people Israel in in the absence of a leader. But maybe you haven't, in which case, just look at the world around you. There's enough mess out there. The division in this country, the confusion, the uncertainty, the violence in this city. Do you not want someone to come and sort it out? To put it right? Maybe... You look at the mess around us and we think, okay, what, what, what we need is a proper leader. Someone who'd get things done, clean things up, put a stop to the nonsense, cut through the proverbial. You're not alone. I saw a survey earlier this week that said um, 54% of people agree with the statement, Britain needs a strong leader who's willing to break the rules. Britain needs a strong leader who's willing to break the rules. Maybe you're not necessarily longing for a a strong leader in that sense, but maybe more a leader who would inspire us, who who would start to put things right by calling us, summoning us to to the better angels of our nature. I remember, um, as a 17-year-old, being transfixed by Barack Obama. I remember watching uh, on the night he was elected, um, just being amazed at the promises he was making through my television screen as he said that it's possible, under a leader like him, it's possible, he said, for a people to put their hands on the arc of history and bend it once more toward the hope of a better day. We long for a great leader. And God says to us, see, your king comes to you. See, your king comes to you. Look at him. Look at Jesus. So let's do that. Um, And the first thing for us to see is the claim of the king. The claim of the king. I want us to see that Jesus is making a massive claim in this passage. He's claiming that in him, in his person, 
All the hopes of God's people for a great leader are finally being fulfilled. At this point in the history of God's people Israel, they didn't have uh, simply a kind of vague longing for a great leader. They had an extremely specific hope. Based on promises that God had made in the Old Testament, that God would send a king to rescue them. A king who would go on to rule over the whole world. They were longing for the Messiah, the descendant of King David who would reign forever that had been promised in 2 Samuel 7, the king whose reign would extend to the ends of the earth, Psalm 2. That's who they're hoping for, who they're waiting for. And by riding a donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, wait's over. Your king comes to you. Um, Look with me at the start of the passage, uh, that passage in Matthew, verse 1. As they, that's Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt, that's her kind of baby, with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send me right away. Sorry, send them right away, sorry. Um, So Jesus and his disciples are are walking along, along the road, like they always do, like we often find them in in the Gospels. Um, And this time they're approaching Jerusalem. And then Jesus says to a couple of them, go go on ahead of me, into the next village, and get me a donkey and its colt and bring them to me. And if anyone gives you any trouble, say the Lord needs them. Is Jesus tired? He's been walking for a while and thinks, ah, yeah, I'd like a ride just for the last kind of couple of miles in. Why the donkey and its cult? What's going on? Well, uh, Matthew explains for us in verse 4. He says, This, that is Jesus' command, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew is quoting here from the the prophet Zechariah, the prophecy that Judith read to us as well. Um, And Zechariah had prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus' day that when the Messiah came to Jerusalem, he would come riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he knows that he is that promised Messiah. He knows the prophecy of Zechariah 9. And so he tells his disciples to bring him a donkey so that he can fulfill the prophecy. So that he can say with actions that speak louder than words that he is the long-awaited Messiah, he is the king, and he has come to rescue his people. Um, The historian N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, "Um, within his own time and culture... Jesus riding a donkey over the Mount of Olives and up to the Temple Mount of Jerusalem spoke more powerfully than words could have done of a royal claim. Uh, To put it in today's terms, um, you've probably seen, whether you wanted to or not, um, one of Theresa May's many Brexit addresses. Um, And you can probably picture it, so she's standing behind the kind of government-embossed podium, maybe outside that famous black door of Number 10 Downing Street. Now, 
hold that picture in your mind and imagine now that you, you flicked up um, your phone to BBC News or you caught um, the TV in the office out the corner of your eye and you saw somebody else standing there, somebody standing behind that podium in front of that door. Would you need to wait for what, what they're saying to know what's happened? No, you would know straight away that they were the new prime minister, that they were in charge. Well, the image of Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem would have worked in much the same way in the mind of a first century Jew. They knew what it meant. It meant that whoever was sitting on that donkey was the king, was the long-awaited Messiah. And so given the claim of the king, that he is the king that everyone's been waiting for, we're left with the question, now that the Messiah's finally here, what's he actually going to do? To be more, more specific, how is he going to rescue his people? How is he going to put everything right? And the passage gives us a surprising answer. Jesus is going to put everything right through humility and weakness. That's the second thing for us to see, the humility of the king. The humility of the king. How does Jesus show, show us what kind of king he is? He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Look down with me at verse 6, um, just at the bottom of that page. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and its colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So Jesus is sitting uh, on this baby donkey, this colt, not even on a proper saddle, on some rumpled cloaks the disciples have kind of hastily thrown over the, the animal. And, and the, the donkey's mum is kind of trailing along behind, probably to keep it company and keep it calm, right? It's not a picture of majesty, almost faintly ridiculous but it is a picture of gentleness of humility in the words of verse 5 see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey but to see the the true significance of Jesus's choice of transport to see what this really shows us about how Jesus is going to put all things right, we need to go back to Zechariah. Uh, so let's do that. Um, look, just looking up that page, um, you'll see the first verse is uh, what the quote um, that Matthew uses is based on. There it is, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt. Uh, the foal of a donkey. Now look at, with me at, at what comes next. Verse 10. God says, verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He that is the Messiah will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So the Messiah, God's king, will rule over the whole world, from the river to the ends of the earth, but his reign will be a reign of peace. Healing, flourishing, a peace that is proclaimed to all nations. So God's going to take away the weapons of war from his people Israel. No more chariots, no more war horses, no more battle bows. 
He's going to rescue his people, but not in the way they expected. They expected a military victory. But he's taken away the weapons of war, and this will be the sign to them. Their king, the Messiah, will come not majestic and riding on a war horse, ready for battle, but humble and riding on a donkey. The people were hoping for a certain kind of Messiah, a certain kind of leader, a strong man, a warrior, someone who would defeat the Roman armies who ruled over them. But Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus chooses the path of humility and weakness rather than the path of violence and strength. Why? Because he knows that is the path he has to follow if he's truly to rescue us. That is the path he has to follow if he's going to defeat sin. Because violence and strength might well get the job done if the battle is with external enemies. If ultimately what we need to be rescued is for someone to deal with the problems out there, then maybe violence and strength is the way to go. But Jesus knows that our biggest problem isn't out there, it's in here. Our biggest problem is our sin. Our rejection of God, of his kingly authority over our lives. And all that is wrong in the world, and all that is wrong in us, ultimately results from sin. And we cannot be rescued from sin by violence or strength, only through humility and weakness. Um, The writer J.R. Tolkien gives us a a picture of this in his book, uh, The Lord of the Rings. Um, In this fantasy world, the Ring of Power, that's not the Ring of Power, that's my wedding ring. Um, But but imagine it's the Ring of Power. The Ring of Power in The Lord of the Rings, um, the one ring to rule them all, is with its master Sauron the source of all evil of all that's wrong with the world. It has to be destroyed to be dealt with if things are going to be put right. But the ring can't be destroyed by strength. I don't know if you've seen the bit in the film where Gimli, the the dwarf, tries to smash it with his axe and nothing happens. The ring can't be destroyed by strength. And Sauron can't be defeated in battle. The ring must be secretly taken to the fires of Mount Doom and cast from whence it came. And so... It's not all the great battles that you might remember from the films that ultimately defeat evil and bring peace. Victory depends instead on the slow, humble walk of a weak hobbit, Frodo Baggins, as he carries the ring to Mount Mount Doom to destroy it. In something of the same way, Jesus comes to us in humility rather than ready for war because it is not in a great battle that sin can be defeated, can be dealt with, but only in a humble walk to the cross. Our king comes to us in humility because the path of humility is the path to the cross. Paul, um, in his letter to the Philippians, put it so like this. He says, Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, that the most humiliating death anyone of that time could have imagined. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows it. As he's riding into Jerusalem on the donkey with the crowds praising it, he knows he's riding to his death. And yet he comes willingly 
because he knows that it's only through his death on the cross that he can deal with sin, that he can put things right. He knows that it is through his death on the cross that he will take the violence that we deserve for our rejection of God upon himself so that we might have forgiveness and peace. He knows that it is as he hangs there, bloodied and dying, five days later, with that mocking inscription above his head, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It is then, not in glory, in humility, in weakness, in death, it is then he is the King we need. I wonder, do we recognise that? Whether you would call yourself a Christian or not um, here this afternoon, do you recognise that for any leader to put things right, they would have to start with our hearts rather than with our circumstances? Do we see that all human leaders, you promise to put everything right, whether that's by breaking a few rules or inspiring us to our better selves, that they cannot keep their promises because they have no answer to the problem of sin? And it's sin that is the source of all our problems. Do we accept the way that Jesus transforms our longing for a great leader? That as we look at him, we see one who is righteous, who is victorious, and yet who is humble and weak and suffering. If we're honest, does the humility of the king fill us with disappointment or confusion? Or does it lead us to thankful praise? Well, let's have a look at how those who were there responded to Jesus. And that's the final thing for us to see, the praise of the king. The praise of the king. Um, so we're going to keep, keep going to verse 8, right at the very bottom of that page, last, starts the last two words there. Um, so Jesus is sitting on this donkey, riding towards Jerusalem, and then verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So so picture the scene with me. Jesus is sitting here, sitting there on this this small nothingy donkey, riding into Jerusalem. And the people get it. They know they're Zechariah. They see that Jesus is coming as the Messiah, the King. And so they decide to give him a royal welcome. (laughs) It's not like anyone's told them to. No one's behind the scenes kind of manufacturing it. It's an authentic outpouring of joy at the fact that God's King has come at last. We've been waiting so long and now it's here. The Messiah has come. And so they, they take off their cloaks and throw them on the road to make a beautiful carpet before Jesus. They run to the trees around the road and cut branches off to spread on the road before Jesus, a sign of celebration, of victory. And they don't only praise Jesus with their their hands, but with their lips. They cry, Hosanna to the son of David, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as the true and better David, the promised son who will reign forever. They shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's at work. 
in his world through this man. They cry, Hosanna in the highest heaven. They want all things to praise their king, even in heaven itself. And the royal welcome they give to Jesus attracts the attention of the royal city, Jerusalem. Verse 10 tells us, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. I bet it was. Imagine, you look, what's going on? And asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The praise the crowds have offered Jesus there, shouts their rejoicing, leads the city to ask, who is this? And the people answered, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. The name of God's promised king, spoken on the streets of God's city, Jerusalem. This is Jesus. The coming of the king calls forth the praise of the king. The coming of the king calls forth the praise of the king. And so as I close, two questions for us. Two questions for us to uh, ponder in our hearts now, but also to take away with us uh, this week. Um, First question, is that our response to the coming of our king? Is praise our response to the coming of our king? God says to us, see, look, your king comes. Do we respond with an outpouring of rejoicing and praise? Or are we a bit, no, about the whole thing? Are we, maybe some of us, so used to the idea of Jesus being our king? Yeah, Jesus is my king, yeah. That we're not that excited anymore. That's me, a lot of the time. I don't know if that's you too, but but if it is, can I suggest that one thing uh, that's helped me and might help you would be to take some time this week to read verse by verse one of the accounts of the last days of Jesus' life, starting with his entry into Jerusalem through to the cross and onto the resurrection. One of the great joys of the church calendar of, of celebrating Easter is that we get to relive those events as if for the first time. We get to watch Jesus come into Jerusalem again to watch him follow the path of humility all the way to the cross and then wonderfully in a week's time to see him rise to new life. See, your king comes to you. So that's the first question. Here's the second one. Will we praise Jesus as he really is or as we want him to be? Will we praise Jesus as he really is or as we want him to be? Because that's the irony in this passage in terms of the crowd, right? On one level, they get it absolutely right. They recognise Jesus as their king. They see that he's the long-awaited Messiah and they offer him extravagant royal praise. But on another level, they don't get it at all. Why do you think they're praising him? They're praising him because they think he's come to fix their circumstances. He's come to drive out the Romans. He's come to put things right out there. They don't see that he has come to redeem their hearts, to put things right in here by dying at the hands of of the same Romans. 
They praise Jesus because they think, oh, finally, someone to fulfill all of our hopes. They don't see he's come to transform their hopes. Are we the same? Do we start with our own hopes, our own longings, our own vision of what a great leader should do for us in our lives, whether that's um, to deliver us success, whether that's to deliver us security, whether that's to deliver us comfort, whether that's to deliver us a partner, whatever it is, we start with those hopes and then build our own Jesus, one who will fix our circumstances and praise him. Do we praise a fake Jesus who's bothered only with the things out there or the real king who has come to forgive our sins, to redeem us, to give us new hearts? To let Jesus be our king is to let him transform our hopes. So will we hang on to our our own picture of the kind of king we want? Or will we look at Jesus? Will we look at him coming to us, humble and riding on a donkey? Will we look at him, humble and hanging on a cross, dying for you and for me? Will we look at him and see that that's the king we need? And praise him for who he is and what he has done. See, your king comes to you. Let me pray. Jesus, praise you that you came not just as the king we want, but the king we need, that you, despite being in very nature God and equal with him, made yourself nothing, humbling yourself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Praise you that you died in our place and rose to new life, that we might be set free, that things might be put right in here, so that we might start to put things right out there. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.